Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. It's Friday, September 22nd. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. The biggest news in D.C., of course, is that the government is looking more and more likely to shut down. Infighting among House Republicans continues to sink their attempts to pass any spending bills, and the October 1st deadline is only getting closer. One big consequence for tech folks is that the Commerce Department says it can't write checks for semiconductor projects if its staff can't come to work. Companies have been waiting months for a chunk of that money. Looks like they'll be waiting even longer. And speaking of capital strife, there's very little that a fiery Rhode Island liberal and a Freedom Caucus conservative from Colorado will agree on. But former Representative David Cicilline and current Congressman Ken Buck found common ground in wanting to break up big tech companies. That partnership is well-known. Also well-known is that their antitrust efforts largely failed. But bipartisan efforts to put reins on companies like Google, Meta, and Amazon continue. Most recently, with lawmakers starting to weigh new rules for artificial intelligence. Cicilline has since left Congress, and Buck was demoted and now is reportedly eyeing an exit himself. On the show today, I caught up with Representative Cicilline. No, I encourage people to call me David. Well, David. To talk about the rising pressure on his former colleagues to put big tech in check, and what he feels like he and Ken Buck started. Well, I mean, I would say first, I was incredibly grateful for the partnership of Ken Buck in this work. And, you know, when this work began, uh, I didn't really know Ken Buck well. Um, but over the course of several years, we developed a real friendship. Um, there were not many issues we agreed upon. In fact, there were probably no other issues we agreed upon, but antitrust and particularly big tech. And what I learned from the experience is, you know, look for colleagues on the other side of the aisle where you can find common interest and, you know, don't lament the fact that there were 10 other things you could work on, but focus on the things that you could. And Ken Buck was a real partner in this work. And I think it was a recognition that the sort of enormous power of these gigantic uh, monopolies online was a real challenge to our economy, to our democracy, to good competition policy. And, um, I saw early on in this work, even before we launched the investigation, I knew that if the large technology platforms could make this a partisan issue and say it's only the Democrats who care about it or it's only the Republicans, that they would win the fight. That it was central to our success that we made this a bipartisan issue so they couldn't pick off one political party or the other from this fight. And, you know, some of it was kind of comical during the course of the 18-month investigation and the following uh, year and a half of hearings and legislative action because the big technology platforms tried desperately to drive a wedge in between Ken Buck and I. Well, I've heard you talk about this idea before, and I, I was going to ask you what you learned about kind of the the lobbying tactics of these big tech companies because Antitrust is certainly one where they were very active, but not the only issue, right, where, where they've been very active behind the scenes trying to either shape it or, or, or kill it, et cetera. Um, and I wonder when you look on it, what you sort of took away from some of their, their tactics there. 
So I think, you know, we knew at the outset that the large platforms would do everything in their power to maintain the status quo, to protect this ecosystem that has generated them profits never seen in the history of the world. And so they literally had billions and billions and billions of reasons to protect uh, the absence of competition, to protect their monopoly power and their market dominance. And there's not really a countervailing lobby on the other side because it's just ordinary people and small businesses and individuals. Um, But the good news is the demand for Congress to take action, rein in big tech, is so powerful and growing. If you look at polling, overwhelmingly, the American people want Congress to rein in big tech. They understand the consequences of their monopoly power, and they're going to hold members of Congress accountable if they don't do it. So I think that ultimately is going to result in more action by Congress because it's going to be politically indefensible not to restore competition in the digital marketplace and rein in big tech. What is that tipping point? Because, it, you know, candidly, right now, it seems like in, in both the House and Senate, sort of the antitrust reform efforts are dormant, if not dead. And so what is it going to take then, in your view, for Congress to actually overcome kind of that tech lobbying power and, and make changes? Well, I mean, ho- I hope uh, part of this effort will um, be facilitated by serious um, campaign finance reform, passage of HR1, you know, efforts to really reduce the influence of money, particularly corporate money in our political system. Um, I think um, the more people learn about the impact on their own lives, on the lives of their children and families, the more they're going to demand action. There are some efforts now underway to protect um, young people from the harm that comes from the internet. I think some of the interesting stuff that's developed uh, about around TikTok has been interesting to watch. You know, all of this outrage about the, the information that this Chinese company is collecting. There are American companies that are collecting more data every single day from Americans. And, you know, I think that's going to get people to think, oh, wait a minute, this is also a problem here in America with American companies. They've become relentless surveillance machines that are just gobbling up every kind of information they can and monetizing it. So I think that, I think the advent of AI that's creating some real fear is going to cause the American people to continue to put pressure on Congress to do something, to rein in big tech, to prevent the harm that can come from AI if it's not carefully regulated and to protect particularly vulnerable populations um, like children uh, from the dangers that, that, that are present on these large technology platforms. What we know for sure is they're not going to fix it themselves. What I think most people don't recognize is we, this isn't a bug, it's a feature. This system was designed to be based on engagement. And so the more engagement, the more money these platforms make. And as it turns out, the most toxic, most violent, most untrue content has the most engagement. So they have a business model which incentivizes the worst kind of content and amplifying the worst kind of content. So they're never gonna fix it. This is how they make their money. And the more of this they do, the more money they make. It only is gonna happen if Congress does its job in imposing serious limitations on what they can do and real regulation to rein in the power of big tech and to frankly restore competition so that you'll have platforms that have better privacy protections, uh, that, that have better curation of what's on their platforms because people want that and they can switch over easily to a new platform. So competition is part of the solution, but also regulation and prohibition of uh, activity and conduct is also part of the solution. 
A few months off the hill has not uh, diminished your your passion for this this stuff at all. Um, yeah, it's uh, which is uh, kind of amazing here, and that's an interesting point on TikTok. I think TikTok in some ways has emerged as a very convenient boogeyman for big American tech companies. Um, so that's an interesting idea that maybe some of the criticism of TikTok could ultimately reflect back on U.S. companies. Right. And I think people, you know, when, the thing that always struck me that moved people the most was when you explained to folks the kind of collection of very personal data that is being routinely taken from citizens of this country every single day, and then that is being used to predict their behavior and sold commercially, people are horrified by that. Like most people think I should get to control who collects my data and who uses it and how they use it. And the fact of the matter is they don't. And, you know, in the same way they're concerned about the Chinese company doing it, they ought to be concerned about the American companies doing it because it remains private and personal data and you ought to have a say of how it's collected and, and if it's collected and how it's used. And right now you don't have a choice. What is most infuriating to me, and I think one of the easiest things to fix, is the idea that if I say something about you that is completely false, you know, you murdered, Stephen Overly murdered 10 people and I wrote that in a newspaper, you could sue the newspaper, you could sue me, I would be responsible for the harm that came from that false uh, statement. We have a whole system that has for centuries now protected people uh, when they've been harmed by someone sharing something which is not true. We've carved out, Congress carved out and gave these platforms an exemption from that liability. And as a consequence, they've built a business model that amplifies the most horrible, most untrue stuff, free from any liability. So they can say something completely false, amplify it, and I can be really harmed by it, and they're free from liability. That's easy to fix. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. You briefly mentioned AI, which is obviously something that your now former colleagues are are contending with. You know, one thing I'm hearing often is that Congress has a different view this time when it comes to AI because they learn from social media, they learn that they can't be hands off, and so they want to be more proactive on AI, and they seem to see some more appetite from industry for AI regulation. I mean, what do you make of that? Because obviously you're skeptical in general of these tech companies doing the right thing, you know, on on their own, or, or, or I'm guessing being open to regulation. Yeah. Look, I think the tech companies have spent millions of dollars in campaigns and ads across the country saying, we want to be regulated. We're urging Congress while they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to stop any effort to rein them in or regulate them. So I don't believe that at all. I do believe AI has presented enough concern both to the American people and to Congress that it's causing them to pay close attention to it. And I expect that they'll take some action. I think one of the things that the tech companies have benefited from was that, you know, this is a rapidly changing and very complicated industry and involves, you know, technology, which is, 
you know, difficult sometimes to completely understand and a business set of business models that are quite complicated. One of the reasons Ken Buck and I decided to do this by way of an investigation is we wanted to be sure that we educated ourselves and the committee about the business models, about the practices of these technology platforms before we propose solutions. And I think our investigation said, no, this is serious. Committee members, both Republicans and Democrats, took the work seriously, studied it for 18 months, wrote a big report about it, then proposed bipartisan legislation. And I think we ended this notion of, you know, Congress doesn't understand antitrust or the big tech uh, platforms. And those days are over. I think you have lots of people in Congress now who understand the dangers uh, that an unregulated monopoly of big tech presents. And I think AI is going to be part of the catalyst to to force Congress to take this out. My guess is they'll approach it by creating an agency staff with real experts to do it, which is fine. Like they won't have to do that all themselves, but I think it's gonna be part of the reason that Congress um, continues to move forward in, in taking serious action on big tech. And I will just say, one of the reasons I remain very interested in this issue in my new role as the presidency of, a, of the Ron Foundation, which is one of the country's oldest and largest community foundations is, you know, you look at the impact of these technology platforms and their monopoly power and the impact it's having on our democracy, the impact it's having on the ability of people to access reliable, trustworthy information, which is central to a functioning democracy and, and the ability of these platforms to amplify toxic untrue content. You look at what happened on January 6th, without a doubt, the vast majority of people who broke into the Capitol absolutely believed that Donald Trump won the election and the Democrats stole it from him. Why did they believe that? Because they read it online, because lots and lots of stories that claimed that were amplified and algorithms were applied that sent it to them. That has a real impact on our democracy. There's a direct connection between these monopolies and these tech platforms that have no regulation and what happened on January 6th. And I think community foundations have a responsibility to strengthen democracies and to help build and sustain democracies. Well, and uh, I mean, exactly what you're talking about with kind of the erosion of democracy, it seems like the capacity for AI to just supercharge that is, is tremendous. I, and I wonder, you, you spoke a lot there about in liability around the internet. Um, and we had Kent Walker from Google on the podcast, and I asked him, uh, you know, if he essentially thought that those internet protections should be extended or, or, you know, as written, are extended into AI and, and companies' sort of responsibility for how their AI models are used by third parties. Um, his answer was not no. <laughs> you know, his answer was not that they're not protected. I, I think tech companies will probably look at ways to protect themselves um, and their AI models. So uh, is that an area where you think Congress should focus is sort of the liability for AI? finding ways that tech companies are held more liable for how these new models are utilized. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The very last bill that I introduced just days before I left Congress, uh, I introduced with Ken Buck. And uh, I'm sorry, it was the last bill of the last Congress uh, uh, that I completed. And we did it just four or five days before Congress adjourned because we wanted to put a marker down. And it was basically a bill to... to, to there was a decision made in the Second Circuit where someone was killed by... Hamas terrorists. And they sued and they sued Facebook because they met in a terrorist chat room and the court dismissed it and said Section 230 uh, gives liability to Facebook. There was a judge who wrote a dissenting opinion in that case and said, wait a minute, Section 230 applies to the initial posting that gets put on Facebook. That's c covered. 
But then Facebook makes a set of business decisions uh, to apply a set of algorithms that will amplify that content and maximize its commercial value to Facebook. And for those decisions, Section 230 doesn't apply. And so we took that decision and basically wrote a piece of legislation that said, look, what gets posted, we recognize there's a First Amendment issue, you post it. But then a business says, I'm going to amplify this in a way to make a bunch of money. And if you do that, you're responsible for the harm that comes from it. So I think that's actually a perfect solution of a way you can shift responsibility for the business decisions that these platforms make to amplify this toxic content. And with AI, there's no reason it shouldn't apply as well. You know, I wonder now in your new role leading the Rhode Island Foundation, as you said, you're sort of thinking a lot about the you know future of democracy and community. How much are you in your new role thinking about things like AI, which obviously is going to be disruptive to every facet of life, right? So how much are you thinking about this stuff now, you know, in your role as former congressman slash foundation president? Yeah, a lot. I mean, we're obviously thinking a lot about ways that AI can help us. You can imagine a lot of ways in our interactions with donors that AI could be really helpful. Um, but, you know, we're also thinking about ways that it could be detrimental, not only to our organization, but really detrimental to some of the things that we care about, like creating economic opportunity, protecting our democracy, improving the quality of public education. So I think it is both this enormous opportunity when used properly. It's also terrifying the power when used improperly. And this is why I think it's so essential that we have you know, robust, serious, and speedy oversight of the use of AI in this country because it has enormous potential and we ought to harness the opportunities it presents, but it also has enormous potential for harm and we ought to mitigate the risk of that as much as we possibly can. Well, David, uh, thank you for, for being here on Politico Tech. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's all for today's Politico Tech. And be sure to check out our new Politico podcast, Power Play, out now. The show introduces you to the top global leaders in business, politics, and culture, and dives deep into how they think about the pressing news around them. You can listen to Power Play wherever you get your podcasts. And you should come to Politico's AI and Tech Summit next Wednesday. The speaker lineup includes FTC Chair Lena Khan and Senators Ed Markey and Todd Young, among many others. Register online now at politico.com slash AI Tech Summit. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you next week.